0: hi i'm jen and i'm jen welcome to marginalia pod where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favorite books
1: i would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and darug people traditional custodians of the land where i'm recording today and pay my respects to their
0: elders past and present I'd also like to acknowledge Tangara Whenua of Te Atara, where I'm recording today. Lockdown.
1: Lockdown. Lockdown.
0: <laughs> week X-1563 for you. It
1: feels like it. It feels like it. I think, I think we're starting week 11. Gosh. I'm trying not to count, but other people are counting, so it's entered into my consciousness.
0: hmm. How dare they? I saw a thing that said that I think you've got another, what, two weeks and then you'll be the longest lockdown in Australia, beating Victoria's lockdown last year. See, Melbourne thinks they're so good at everything. They can't even do lockdowns as long as Sydney.
1: I'm calling it. We're the better town. Yay. Our case numbers are also
0: the biggest. Very Trumpian.
1: I need some kind of win. It's been a week of not very many wins. There was one big win. That's my moment of wonder. I got my jab. Yay. Yay. So, um, like, this literally was the best part of the week that Simon was on the website just, like, noodling around thinking maybe there will be another appointment like a week or two closer and there were appointments for that day and the next day and so he snapped one up and then got one and then he said look right now and so I looked and I got one for the next day as well and that was yeah Monday we got appointments for Tuesday which was unheard of so I don't know if it's the Polish ones that came through or something, mm. but if so, thank you Poland. Um, if not, thanks Gladys, because honestly our, our premier made so much noise about us getting vaccinated that I think it actually kind of manifested more doses for everyone. So.
0: Amazing.
1: I'll take it. So yeah, that was my bright spot. How about you? Did you have any moments of wonder? Any bright
0: spots? Um, yeah, so I guess our bright spot is that we in Wellington well, everywhere except Auckland and Northland went to level three lockdown on Wednesday, which means that we got to have takeaway. And that's quite a nice change. So I managed to go and get a barista-made coffee Thursday morning. And that is a moment of wonder. Like, I know on the scheme of things... You know, it's fine. Like, I, I'm not a coffee snob. Like, I love coffee, don't get me wrong, yeah. but I drink instant because for me, it's more about getting the caffeine in my body than it is about the quality of instant the caffeine. It's
1: perfectly respectable. I take instant when I go overseas because not everybody I visit has coffee.
0: So mm, I, I do that own, too. Yeah,
1: like- it's fine it does the job
0: um you get judged so hard for it especially in Wellington which is like real snooty about coffee oh no and so like when I make instant at work people are just looking at me like what are you doing there are plungers so sometimes I will make plungers I also have a plunger but I find I get annoyed with having to clean the plunger so sometimes it's yeah. just easier just to make the instant yeah it's the little things when you were in yeah. lockdown that yes. makes life easier so
1: yeah that feeling exactly I remember when my kids were babies and I would be like okay it's four o'clock the cafe closes at five we're all getting dressed and getting in the car and going out for a coffee like I would go get a takeaway every day because it was like the thing I did Mm. and it was super hard because carrying a toddler and a baby and a coffee is not great or easy but I do remember that being like the goal if I just go and get a coffee it'll be okay (laughs) and I sort of feel like that's held like if I can go and get a coffee when we're back to being able to get coffee it'll be okay
0: One day soon, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Well, this week we are reading chapters 33 to 36 through the theme of creation, and I was hoping that you had a story for us.
1: I actually want to make the case for creation as a concept. So creation is one of my favorite concepts, not just in the sense of like making something new, but the idea of creation as the entirety of the known universe. Mm. I actually really think those ideas dovetail nicely, though, because you cannot make anything new without having something from with which to create. So Mm -hmm. creation depends upon itself, which is nice and cyclical. As you know, I live in a creative household. I do all of my work surrounded by art supplies and fabric and endless stationery. I curate collections of things that embody beauty and joy, and then I draw inspiration from those things to make new things. So my creation is like a feedback loop. I feel a real compulsion to foster that impulse of creation in myself to make space for making things. I feel like it's a like it's the point. It's the whole point. Mm. For me, creation, deliberate, decided, invoked creation is a way to connect with others, and that's why I feel so strongly about it. Making is how I translate my world from thought into deed or object. But I want to be really careful about how I talk about creation because a lot of people tend to think of it as like a a unique idea or something springing out of nothing, like creation Mm. as coming from nothing. But that's not how I see it. I don't think that anything I make is wholly mine. It's an interdependent process that links everything we see and experience and everything that we are with what we do. So it starts with transformation, but the end result for me is always about connection. So when I write, all of my stories are shades of other things I've lived or absorbed or experienced before. I use that to translate what's in my brain so that others can feel or see or know what I'm trying to say. I want to connect through the act of creation, so I draw on what I've absorbed from other creations to do that. Mm. We transform what we have into something that hopefully speaks to others. And I think that it's valuable because it's inevitable. We are greater than the sum of our experiences, but we still create from them, whether it's intentional or not. So it's worthwhile to examine creation as a process. And I think it's doubly worthwhile to do it deliberately, like just start small and make something. I'm going to wind this up by quoting something that Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers from Mr. Rogers Neighborhood said once while drawing with crayons. It sums up how I feel about the act of creation as a deliberate practice. And Mr. Rogers said, do you like to draw with crayons? I'm not very good at it. But it doesn't matter. It's the fun of doing it that's important. Now, I wouldn't have made that if I just thought about it. No matter how anybody says it is, it feels good to have made something. The best thing is that each person's would be different. In a way, you've already won in this world because you're the only person who can be you.
0: Aww, that's so nice that is really lovely um i think that's perfect for our reading as well because i think you're absolutely right people think about it as like a lightning bolt right like yeah when a creation happens it's a lightning bolt and then something is suddenly exists but what we see here is like professor piper in particular is trying to tell catholic no you need to draw on what you know you can't just wait for the idea to just turn up fully formed you draw on your experiences to create a story so i think what you've said just ties in so well with that.
1: I like to think of my brain as this lake and everything goes into the lake and like when enough stuff is in there things start to pop out the top and then I can take from that. Mm. And sometimes you do have to do a bit more work and like dredge the lake to get stuff out when you're not feeling particularly creative. But me dumping good TV and books and Mm. funny stories and going to art museums and galleries and like just Mm -hmm. taking all of other people's creative work in. That's how I fill that lake up. And it's really important that people understand that like creation is not necessarily this like beautiful, epiphanous, wonderful act. Sometimes it's just sitting down and being like, all right, I want to write a story about two people who meet and don't fall in love. Mm. You just start with an idea and then you work from there. It's very mundane. But we all have all of it in our, we all have all of it inside of us we can do it
0: yeah and like when I have friends who would you know if they message me saying oh I'm really struggling to write or I feel like I've got a bit of a block I'll always say you know read something that you really love just to top it up and like spark that little like just blow on the flame just let's keep it going you can't serve from an empty vessel no and I feel like I've been saying that a lot this week to friends everybody's
1: vessels are very empty right now
0: yeah yeah Shall I do some chapter summaries for us? Yeah,
1: yeah, let's talk about this. I feel like not a lot happened, but a lot happened.
0: Levi is sad about a test he bombed, and Kath lies to Professor Piper about how her story is going. Spoiler alert, it's not. Nick asks Kath to accept co-author credit on their story so he can publish it, and she declines. Regan, Wren, and Levi are all there to back her up. Later, Kath tells Levi she loves him. Kath and Regan decide to room together next year, accidentally edging out Wren but Kath tells her she should come live in their building. Levi and Kath fight about her increasingly hectic fanfic writing pace and make up about a second later because they both like each other too much to fight. So sweet. I know, I love their fight. It's a really good fight to have, though. I felt like it was a fight that was about something different than what they were fighting about, in a way. You know how sometimes you fight around an issue?
1: And I think that might have been one of the main differences between them. There's a line, where is it, you know, real life was something that happened in the peripheral vision. Mm. She's so into it that she can't actually be in her life. And for Levi, he's only ever in his life. So this is a huge problem for him where he's making a lot of sacrifices to be with Kath, like not being able to study as much. And she is not creating the same opportunities for him. It's not that he wants her to fail her classes, but he wants her to do well in her classes because it's easier for her. And like just throwing something away is... It's insulting. Yeah, and
0: I think that's actually the crux of the fight in a way, is the idea that she's not going to turn in this assignment because it's just not a priority for her. And for him, that is because he struggles so much to get good grades and he works so hard at it, the fact that she would just be so dismissive of something that he would have to fight for is what aggravates him. And that's something that I find particularly difficult as well. Like Sometimes when you are with very wealthy friends and they make some dismissive comment about something, I'm like, wow, I cannot believe that you're approaching it like that because... For me, yeah. from my viewpoint, this is a big deal, but you're just like,
1: yeah, this happens to me a lot with people and their kids. So like you get people who complain about their kids never shutting up and we spent so much time and energy and money on speech therapy that every time I get one of those comments like this is the hill I will literally <laughs> stand on it and die on it because I'm like you should be grateful your kids can talk. Because for years, neither of mine did. And it was a huge deal. Mm. And it's one of those things where, like, you know, Levi is saying to Kath, why are you throwing this away? This is not actually that hard for you. Like, just turn in something. It, and I think she's kind of stuck in that, oh, it has to be perfect or it has mm. to be meaningful. Just write something. Oh, my gosh. Anything. Write the dumb story about the people divorcing from the perspective of the dog, Kath. It doesn't have to be good. Just write it and then work on it. I'm with Levi here. It infuriates me. I really struggled with grades too. So I think my, my main takeaway from that is that he's holding her accountable. He's creating accountability for her by offering the contrast that she doesn't really have right she and Ren are both smart and don't have learning disabilities really Mm. and Levi's saying like but you're throwing away an opportunity that I would kill for
0: yeah because of an arbitrary deadline this is something that you've made up you don't have to do it no one's forcing you to do this thing you've just decided that you have to she's made a sword to hang above her head but it's not a real sword
1: when he leaves and says fine I'll see you in nine days when this book is out it's The moment where she realizes like, oh my gosh, I've been taking this all for granted. It forces her to kind of think about what her priorities actually are. But then of course Levi couldn't really leave because he loves her too much and she loves him too much.
0: But it is a good reminder for Kath that, you know, you should prioritize things. Like you're always going to have competing priorities. You're always going to have things that push up. And you know, there's all these memes about choose three, you can only have three things in your adult life, whether it's sleep or work or friendship, like, Uh, you know, you can't have everything, choose three. And I feel like Cash in this moment is like, which do I prioritize, you know? And she hasn't given that thought before. Yeah, I like the idea of the,
1: the glass and plastic balls, like you're you're going to be juggling a lot all of the time, but you have to know which balls you can drop which ones are plastic and yeah. which ones are glass and she's treating all of them like they're glass and truly, they're not all glass.
0: It was one of the most infuriating things about my last job is that often we would get loads of things that had to be done immediately, basically and then we would be overworked and stressed and my manager would be like, mm. you just have to prioritise and then we'll be like, okay, help us prioritise which task needs to be done and they're like, all of them that's not helpful yeah whereas kath could easily drop you know she could drop carry on and it won't break anything
1: yeah i understand the feeling of having to beat a deadline you make and i think she's a bit stuck like she's blocked about it she can't not do it until she gets a, a big shock and I think that's going to be a
0: theme of her entire life that she'll have to really think about what she's doing. Yeah, I struggle with her rationale as to why she has to get this book out or has to finish carry-on by the time she does like on page 447 she says Gemma T. Leslie would get the last word and that would be it. Everything Kath had built in the last two years would become alternate universe officially non-compliant. Everything she's writing is canon divergent anyway, like Simon doesn't you know, Simon's not in love with Baz in Gemma T. Leslie's world, like like, mm. this is not a thing and if you keep writing fanfic after she's published the last book doesn't that mean you get the last word because you keep creating mm. after she stopped so i don't understand this weird compulsion which is like oh i'm i can't let her have the last word but you are if you stop before she publishes you are letting her have the last word it's weird i think it's just wanting to beat
1: someone to the punch i definitely understand her rationale behind it but i don't think it's rational <laughs> I get why she's so committed to this, but I don't think it's a particularly useful creation, this deadline.
0: I wonder if she's just wanting to get her story out first, because in case T Leslie wraps it up in a similar way, she could be like, aha, I saw it coming, I was there first, so you can be you know, smarter.
1: I definitely think that's a factor, especially considering how affected she is by Nick and what Nick takes from her.
0: And I wonder if that whole Nick situation is not part of why she feels so incapable of writing in fiction writing class, right? Like, she's had this traumatic experience with Nick and now she can't get out of it.
1: Yeah, can we talk about that a little bit, actually? I'd, <sighs> love, to, I'd love to dive in. I'm so angry with him. He was such a garbage person.
0: I hate how he makes everything about him and absolves himself of all responsibility.
1: Mm -hmm. He blames Kath for losing his assistant teaching thing. But you know what? He lost it because he definitely turned in something that was written by somebody else. And also actually got a bad grade for plagiarism. And then Nick straight up plagiarized her.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And like, he just, I hate how he makes everything about him. It's like, you've got to say, yes, this is such a great opportunity for me. You know how badly I want this. I can't lose this. I already lost my teaching assistantship because of you. Like, what is wrong with you? Have some self-awareness here because you are so lost up your own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just hate him. I hate him so much. Like when he said that about him, like, her being the the cause of him losing his assistantship, I'm like, I would happily murder you. I would murder you right here, and Same. I won't feel bad about it. I'm amazed Regan didn't do it.
1: Well, Kath hasn't told anybody really what happened. I think Ren no. knows a bit, but, like, like if if she had said to Regan, oh, you know, we'd been working on this thing and he stole it, Regan would have probably burned his house down. Yeah. Which, fair enough. She's very ride or die like that. Yeah, I just, I'm so angry with him. This is the thing, so they co-created something, right? They had creation together and he took ownership of it. it it wasn't transformative like he had already written it and then kath took it and made it her own they were making it together at the same time and then he said it was his mm-hmm. i think that's where it really falls down and that's why she feels betrayed like it isn't her writing fan fiction of nick's terrible work it's her improving his work and making it also hers
0: yeah but it's also not improving in that she's editing it it's collaboration it's co-creation mm-hmm. like it's creation as a collaborative effort yeah It's just, it's so infuriating. He actually needs her to be good. Well, that's the thing. That's what she says, right? On page 431, Neko couldn't write his own anti-love story without her. So, you know, without Kath, the story wouldn't exist.
1: Exactly. I love Ren, looking at him like he's a Facebook picture and not a person. That's so good. One of my favorite lines is, on page 428, she thought about walking away and leaving him to deal with Regan and Ren, who were difficult and unpleasant a lot of the time, even if they liked you. Um, Kath, <laughs> you are also difficult and unpleasant a lot of the time, even if you like someone. You are
0: so I- mean to everybody that you like. I thought that was an interesting comparison to draw between Ren and Reagan. actually, mm. like to say that they were similar. Like, that's not something I would have picked up, but it's interesting that Kath made that connection. Mm. Mm. Yeah, they're
1: very, they're very different in their unpleasantness, but yeah, it's not inaccurate. And I love that she was just like, maybe I'll just leave it to these guys, because Ren would absolutely throw down, and Reagan would probably eat that guy alive.
0: Yeah, I think it's also an interesting parallel if we think of creation as a collaborative act, which I think draws on your story as well as this idea that creation does not exist in a vacuum, it's something that yeah you inform from your world around you so you can pull from other people. And then you've got Kath and Ren working together to finish Carry On, like Ren's come on board to collaborate. She's taking comments and answering
1: them using Kath's mm. username, I mean that's not a collaboration that's taking anything from Kath. And I don't think Ren is feeling like she's not getting recognition for it either.
0: No, but that's more of a, a wholesome kind of collaboration that, you know, Ren is also giving her feedback on her story. She's like helping her with dialogue. She's doing all these things. And then you've got Nick, who just is so dismissive of Kath's, like, not just her input, but just of her capability. Like, yeah. you know, oh, he's just a
1: fantastic editor. But like, this is my story, you know?
0: That she, you know she says you're a great writer and I felt that that was quite cold and brutal and I sort of loved it when she's like you'll have another chance you're a great writer I was like oh I love this so much and I don't think she meant it like that but I just kind of loved it
1: yeah I like the line on page 429 congratulations Kath said feeling used up all over again like he was robbing her again this time at gunpoint because mm. she doesn't know why he's there at first like is he actually just there to gloat what is the point of this I can't imagine what the conversation between him and Professor Piper was like, where she was like, so Kath Avery helped you write this, right? Mm. And if you submit it, you have to submit it under both your names or it won't run. And also on your own, you're not writing anything that I, I think is worth working with. So you can't do this job anymore. That must have been like blow after blow after
0: blow. I wonder if he was not dismissive of Kath's contribution. Like he was like, no, no, I wrote it all on my own. Like, yeah, she ha- like she did a bit of editing. But, you know, I, I came up with everything and I did it all. But because Professor Piper knows Kath's writing, she can see it. In it. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why she stripped him of the... um assistantship because it's like well you have no humility so how can you teach other people how can you help other people if you are so incapable
1: yeah the line about how and then she thought about sitting next to nick in the stacks trying to get him to let go of the notebook Mm. he's never going to want to yield anything and so for kath the stakes are so low now on this like it was embarrassing and hurtful at the time but now she's just looking at it like it's not really my story. And yes, those girls are walking around telling my jokes, but like it's his terrible second person present tense and his terrible skinny girl characters with nicotine stained fingers. And like they're his, they're not hers. They're not something that mm. she's passionate about. So it's easier for her to let go of it. But she's also not going to like bend over and let him step on her back to raise himself up. Like she's not doing that. Mm. And it's amazing because, like, that's her way of defending her creation, too, whether she intends it to be or not.
0: Yeah, I think it's great. Really good boundaries from Kath. And for her to also say, you know, it was ancient history. Like, she's let it go. Like, she's moved on with her life, and he has no sway over her. And that's such maturity to just be like, nah, I've parked this thing that happened to me. Like, it sucked, but I'm done with it. Like, it's not going to have any power over me. 10 out of 10. One of my favorite
1: moments is when. It's on page three, 431 she looked at all three faces ready to be offended for her and she realized that it really didn't matter I'm like everybody is so ready to like throw
0: down for her and she's like actually nah And I love that as well, because I thought that was creation. Like, they create this little protective bubble around her. You know, you've got Regan forcing him to sit outside, Ren's there right from the start, and then Levi comes up and like, you know, I'm a strong, independent woman. I don't need no man. But when Levi, like, puts a little possessive hand on the back of Kath's neck, you know, and just holds her there, like, I'm here for a little bit of possessive touching. I'm just saying. It's great. I'm here for Well He's taller
1: and he's so handsome and lovely
0: also so passive aggressive when he like shakes nick's hand and it's like nick look hassled i just love that
1: (laughs) i love that so much because levi is so unfailingly friendly that you can't you know people like that who are so polite and you're like i can't be rude to you but i'm annoyed right now like they make you be socially
0: kind (laughs) when he says you know oh nick from the library and you just know that he's judging him so hard because this man has never walked kath home after the library and yeah i love levi just nick needs to get in the bin i never want to hear or see him ever again
1: okay he can't even get published because he can't find another writer as good as kath who's gonna sit with him and deal with his
0: nonsense well maybe he can just come up with a unique concept instead of writing the same old boring nonsense
1: there's something about people who write all the time write constantly read constantly work on something and get good at it kath has overcome the taste gap like she knows what's good and she knows what works i'm To do that at 18 is huge, right? Like she's a phenomenal writer and she will be an amazing writer if she ever actually gets her act together and writes the story. But
0: Nick hasn't done that enough to know what's good and what's not yet. It's because Nick is pretentious, so he thinks what he thinks is good is not actually his own taste. it's just what he thinks will get him the most mm. you know kudos. It's what he thinks he should like. It's people who only have I don't know Kafka on their bookshelves instead of reading things and reading broadly because they don't yeah. know what their own tastes are, right? You're just mimicking society's taste.
1: This is why I started reading nonfiction was because I was finding I wanted to know more about stuff. And mm. nonfiction was such a fun way of getting information into my brain.
0: But I mean, like, I went to uni with so many nicks, like, you know, I know <laughs> people like this, I have sat in classes with people like this. And it's why people are so dismissive of when, you know, you've got a guy being like, oh, Fight Club is my favorite film. It's like, oh, great, here we go. Like, I can tell you everything about this man without even having a conversation, because, yep. which is so judgmental. And I hate that about myself. But that is just these things that people internalize. It's like yeah, you know, I'm watching The Sopranos. I'm like, hmm, I read American Psycho. Good for you. It's terrible, but good for you. You know?
1: <laughs> the That's the thing. Like, there's definitely taking in media that's edgy and weird and difficult because it can help your mind like get through stuff or like you think about it and there's like writing stuff that can be therapeutic or like just getting it out or whatever and then there's like only liking a certain subset or genre of things because it says something about you Mm. that makes you belong in this like edgelord man's man club that I'm just not interested in
0: which you know is also a disservice to the content because I do like Fight Club as a film I think it's actually great like and I didn't mind the book either like it's fine
1: Oh yeah, the thing is, Chuck Palahniuk has a lot
0: to say about like masculinity, and it does it very well. You know what it's trying to do, but it's you... just everybody misses the point. <laughs> and then you get into this weird space with the people who like it, and you're like, oh, you are insufferable, and therefore the media you consume becomes insufferable by extension, and that yeah. is really a shame. Like it's the same with V for Vendetta. Like I loved V for Vendetta; I thought it was a great film, it's still an amazing film. But oh my gosh, it's so loaded to go anywhere near that space.
1: With a lot of films like that, it's do not interact, but not because you don't actually want to talk about it. It's just you have to know that they're like, not just being a particular subset of person because there's not a lot of value in like trying to explain to someone who's decided it's about like being tyler durden that actually the whole point is that you don't want to be tyler
0: durden (laughs) yeah that's the whole it's the disenfranchisement of male youth and also the horribleness of capitalism which is something that people don't get about american psycho either i'm like how have you come to this conclusion did we read the same book i what is happening
1: (laughs) the perspective of the privileged versus the perspective of people who are like i can see that happening around me all the time a lot of yikes Nick's got a lot of yikes in him.
0: I hope that he grows up. Like, you know, I hope that he gets past it. A lot of them don't, but you know, there's always hope.
1: I keep thinking about how he's blaming Kath for everything. He hasn't created any space in himself to, like, accept any blame for his situation. Like, it's her fault this, it's her fault that. Like, why is it her fault? What did she do?
0: And You can just imagine the conversations he's having with his friends. Like, you can imagine what he's calling Kath, like, what he's saying about her, right?
1: And I think this really speaks to the difference between, like, semester one Kath and semester two, right? Like, she She's confident in who she is now. She's got her family in the right place. She's got a boyfriend who really cares about her and she really cares about him. And like she's growing and healthy and like she's vibing, man. I love it. I'm here for it. But back in the end of semester one, she was in a really bad place. She was Mm. very scared. She and Mm. Ren weren't talking. Like Nick was sort of the only like friend she had made who wasn't Reagan, really, or Levi. And at that point, they still felt like sponsors and not friends. And he took advantage of that. And she sees it now for what it is when she's surrounded by all these people who are there and showing up for her and loving her. And he's just a sad man. He's a sad, sad little man.
0: And I mean, she could never be herself around him. She could never tell him about Simon, right? She could never be wholly who she is, not the way that she is with her real friends now, like her little family. And I think that is the true sign of a good friendship is when you can just be who you are without that feeling of like having to perform Mm -hmm. um, where she was never safe with him. In that way
1: yeah no she always knew that there would be judgment there that's very um intuitive and prescient of you kath i applaud that hmm. stay away from the judgy dudes
0: um the other place i thought there was creation was obviously in the whole professor piper scene mm. that we see in this first chapter of this section we read you know and kath is really struggling to find a space for that kind of yeah, creation
1: she's shut that door hasn't she
0: mm. and i really love that you know Cath says that she's going to write about her mother and she's going to start there. And then the professor says, you know, everyone does. And I love that comment of like starting everyone does there's a communality in that kind of creation. creationist yeah. idea, like everyone can relate to this. So this is a good place to start.
1: Yeah, you're right. I mean, we all start with what we know. And like the first person that we know is, is family, right? I was thinking about like creation when I was writing my story. And I was, my first thought was obviously that I've been pregnant twice and given birth twice and mm. i was given this half a cell and like a road map and like my body then did it all my first thought was that yes creation is something that's like physical because it's so immediate because i'm right you know like i'm in the weeds of it i'm in the parenting tunnel vision zone but i think that was more mm. of a lockdown response which is why i didn't go with it because i'm like well this feels too obvious
0: I did think of that, actually, when I asked whether you could do the creation story. I was like, well, you're, you've are you made two human beings, like, that's the ultimate creation, so. <laughs> but
1: that, but the, it's not, it's just biology, like, I was also thinking about, just as a little sidebar, I was thinking about the way that I sew, and like, one of the jokes in quilting is, oh, why would you buy perfectly good fabric, cut it up and sew it back together again? And <laughs> like, yeah, we all say that, and it is kind of funny because we do that like that's the whole point is you cut fabric up and you put it back together again but like we make something different out of it and like cutting it changes it and but then even further back it was an idea in someone else's head and a design that they printed onto fabric or was printed and that was like in a sketchbook or on a screen and then even before that it was a cotton or linen plant and like it was a seed that was endlessly
0: creating itself so like transformation that's what it is it's the same with fiction like you're always borrowing tropes from other things there's no new ideas really it's you make them new through the act of creation it's it's
1: how you put them together right so like i want people to stop saying oh that's tropey in a negative way so you don't look at a building and say oh that's too woody there's wood in that (laughs) tropes are just boards and nails and screws and wall like that tropes are
0: tools okay It's, it's how you put them together and i just feel like we're going down a very dangerous path if we're like oh you have to credit everyone for every idea that you use because how are we ever going to create anything if we do that? It's just not how creation works.
1: Yeah. So I just had a like total breakthrough in a story of mine that I had been stuck on for like I don't know, like four years, well maybe only two years. But like I was like, oh, I, I really like love these characters, and I kind of have an idea of what I want to do with it. But then I'm like, where do I actually want this to go? And I was like, Journey to the Underworld. That goes uh, right back to Greek mythology. So like, it's the hero's journey, right? Like, it's
0: as old as time it's in the odyssey like it's, it doesn't get like much more canonically old than that i also saw this tumblr post that was like where do all our tropes come from in fan fiction anyway and someone's like star trek everything comes from star trek you can take it back and i'm like that's fair because that's where fandom really started The fandom we know it as we yeah. Are today, yeah like i mean there was also dickens fandom and sherlock holmes fandom and like austin fandom back in ye olden times
1: our grandmas were shipping spock and yeah. back before that was a thing yeah
0: and coming up with alien pollen and all these things that we now love are now fixed thanks
1: all the you grandmas who are out there doing the work and doing Thank it you for your secret fandom meetings and clubs and writing groups doing it scenes.
0: without the internet like sending each other fix like you were the mvps i'm just saying um just to get back to the topic of writing what you know yeah. i really loved when kath is like you know Making out with Levi, and she says on page 421 Kath wants to go back and rewrite every scene she'd ever written about Baz and Simon's chests. Mm-hmm. I honestly just love that. I was like, I love this moment which is like, Oh, oh no, I didn't understand. I didn't understand when I was writing those things. And we've spoken about that before when you read Fix sometimes and you're like,
1: Oh, you haven't actually touched a human person like that, have you?
0: <clears throat>
1: yeah, and look, look, okay, for anybody out there who's young and listening. We're not judging you for not knowing that. We just know oh, it. No. So, like, we know that you yeah. haven't figured it out yet.
0: Yeah. And, like, you know, I think it's great that people are out there writing. I'm not judging at all. Like, mm. I don't think you need to have experienced something necessarily in order to write it. But sometimes you can just tell. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Like, you can just tell.
1: But it's okay. Just write around it like yeah. Kath does. Luckily. Also, I love that scene so much because I love the idea that I, just the, the, the line Levi's chest is a living thing, it can live in my brain rent free forever. I love how mm. much they love each other without objective... Like, there's no objectifying. I always feel like people are so pretty that I just want to be like, and this about them, and that about them. But I love how much, how respectful this this feels. Like, both of them love yeah, each other. It's... And, like, when he looks at her eyes and he's trying to figure out what colour they are...
0: It's just very accepting, isn't it? There's no, like, performative nature to it. There's no self-consciousness to it. It's just, like, existing with someone else because you trust them completely. Yeah. It's lovely. The line that
1: made me laugh the most was um when... She'd gotten rid of Levi's shirt and she was thinking about losing her own because it was such a good idea to get rid of his. And um, she's like, maybe if I just put my arms up, Levi would pitch in. She could count on him to pitch in. It just just made me laugh. Because, yeah, if there's one thing you can count on Levi to do, it's to help. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Always helpful. He's so helpful. Oh, my goodness. I I like that there's this creation of intimacy through their repeat, like the repeated exposure. That was something I really noticed. Like Ren being around all the time for all of this writing, they're back because Ren's there. Like that's that's mm-hmm. part of what's like the creation of that intimacy is because there's repeated exposure. Like because they're together and hanging out. And Kath's always in the airy with Levi and She's just able to bite his chin whenever he turns up because they do that, and I love that too. Like I'm totally, I love to chomp on people. So
0: I love she calls it the airy, even though it makes me think of Game of Thrones, which is not a positive connotation.
1: Didn't make me think that at all. It made me think of um the the Sarah J Moss the assassin ones. Oh yeah. Throne of Glass, Throne of Glass, Sword of Glass, Throne of Glass. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, it made me think of that because there's a whole section of like women
0: who ride dragons and they all live in an airy. Um, I was wondering about the all consuming nature of creation. You know, when you're just like really into that moment of creating and you're in the zone with it. And I think Kath is really in that with carry on, right? Yeah. Like it's taking up all her space and time. And she, she's got no room for anything else. Yeah, which is a
1: huge problem. I get like that sometimes, but I consider that to be hyper focus, and that's not a state I wanna be in. <laughs> yeah, I think that sometimes creation is like you can foster more creation by like being immersed in what you're doing I know that sometimes if I'm in a real vibey moment whatever I'm listening to will then become the soundtrack to that and so I'll like put that song Mm. on repeat if I need to keep going back to a scene or that's part of why I listen to music when I write so I can return to that but
0: I don't think it's a particularly healthy mental space to be in it's also not sustainable right like you're just burning yourself out and that's something that I've been very cautious of when I started getting back into writing is like, I know that I would be like this, like I wouldn't sleep and just write for like two weeks and then suddenly I'd be like, oh, I can no longer yeah. do anything. So trying to build up a stamina rather than like, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. You yeah, know?
1: exactly. That's part of why I open my laptop every day and look at whatever I'm writing just to be in it still, but like I'm not throwing over a lot of time to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'd like to have a couple weeks in a cabin by myself. I plan
0: to someday if
1: we ever get out of lockdown.
0: I think it's interesting how Kath says um, she didn't have time to feel guilty about fiction writing on page 445. And she says, even thinking about that stupid story made Kath feel clawed up and open. I think it's so interesting how this fiction writing piece makes her feel so confronted compared to the comfort she feels when she's working on carry carry on right and so you've got this kind of dichotomy of creation where sometimes it's actually a challenging thing
1: yeah it absolutely is i think that that fiction writing is going to require her to dig deeper than she's ever had to dig And that's going to be hard. It's hard to do the thing. It's hard to put yourself out there. It's hard to be vulnerable, even to yourself sometimes.
0: Yeah, it's scary as well because you're worried about rejection, right? So when she writes something and it gets a bad review or like Professor Piper doesn't write it, it's not just, oh, she doesn't like, she doesn't like my story. She doesn't like me because I've put Mm. myself out there. I've put myself on the paper.
1: Because to Kath, the creation is so much a part of her identity. Like, creating something from these characters is so much of who she is that she doesn't know if she can create something independent of
0: Speaking of identity, I thought it was interesting to see Kath's identity as like a caretaker or carer for her family Mm. sort of changing a little bit in this section. So, you know, she says she's not as worried about her dad as she used to be because Ren is going home more. And then also when she gets that text while she's making out with Levi, she's a bit more chill about it. Like she checks it, but she still, she can she puts up a boundary and she can still focus on what she wants to focus on rather than getting wrapped up in solving her family's problems. And I don't think Kath from the start of this book would have done that.
1: No, I think if run had said meet me somewhere she would have been like yes I- i'm there i'm right there mm. one bit of identity that i really loved was when they were talking in the kitchen A mm. big moment for mm. both of them where levi is yeah. kind of like oh maybe you're embarrassed by me and Kath's like what you're so good looking and everybody thinks you're irresistible like she just completely baffled as to why like she thinks he's amazing like how does he not know that she thinks he's amazing but apparently hondra very well off or something and he knows mm. this but she's like what okay
0: He's just another one of Ren's boyfriends to me. I love that because you kind of got to see a bit more of Levi's identity and his own fears and insecurities. Because we don't mm. see that, you know, he's always so chill and so down and like so cool with everything. But in this section, we really saw his kind of insecurities around studying and his insecurities around not being good enough. All those things really came to the fore. So I thought that was really sweet.
1: And also not being liked. Does Ren not like me? Yeah.
0: <laughs> and also how he's not jealous. I loved when he's like, I can be. If that's that something you want me to be jealous about, I can be.
1: In some ways, he's really mature just because he can say the thing. I love that mm. he can just say the thing, and he just does. Like, he finds the opportunity and says the thing.
0: And also in that kitchen scene, we sort of saw another side of Cat's identity again, and that's that yeah. worry she has about Ren and the comparison with that. You know, like, I the thought it was... with more juice. Yeah, and when she mentions that Levi called Ren hot and he's like but I was calling you hot and she says well it sucked and I just thought for her to vocalize that as well as also growth and the parallel when Levi says I like that you don't smile at everyone because then when you smile at me versus what she said to him where she was like well you smile at everyone so how am I supposed to know that it matters when you smile at me so I love that kind of parallel between the two of them.
1: But also she totally takes advantage of his smiley nature at the end of the Nick thing, when she it's, was on page 431, Kath grinned up at Levi. Are you okay? He yes, asked, back because he couldn't help him. Bless him. Bless him to infinity and mm-hmm. beyond. Like, she relies on his smiliness now.
0: And I love that he could articulate the difference between Ren and Kath and why, you know, why mm. he liked Kath. I thought that was really important for her.
1: Yeah, like, she might be harder to get to know on the outside because she's prickly, but. Ren doesn't let anybody all the way in ever Mm. I don't think and that's the difference is that Kath thinks she doesn't trust people but that is not actually true she does trust people and that's why she's so protective of herself Ren is the one who is like able to let people into like the gated area before the part that she lets people into and that's what Kath doesn't get is that Ren has this like baby gate system Mm. and Kath doesn't Kath is just open if she's open and she's not if she's not yeah oh I love that she said I love you
0: some excellent communication in this section a plus plus this is how you relationship even the conversation between ren and kath when ren is like oh shall we room together and kath's like oh no i've already made a commitment
1: i actually really love that ren asked i wondered if it was like if it was her dad saying and you need to room with your sister next Mm. year but i think if it's kath's decision it's okay for them not to but i like that ren is like back i like that ren is integrating her college self and her actual Mm. self that makes me feel happy yeah
0: it's much more sustainable
1: yeah you just have to find the middle ground this is the one thing about creation is that sometimes it does take a lot out of you and if you create too much from nothing you're not like it won't be tenable it won't be realistic and she was trying to create a person that she wasn't Mm. and that is just not something you can really like most people can't do yeah that. and it's
0: based on nothing right like she wasn't drawing from her own personality really she was kind of fostering yeah. a whole new person to be and that was yeah. never gonna hold under scrutiny
1: i just read um the heart principle by helen huang last night and um i've read her other books and they're like lovely all of her protagonists um are autistic. And this particular one was about somebody who didn't have a diagnosis and didn't know and got the diagnosis as part of like the journey to falling in love with someone. And it just clicked for her in a way. And I like she was experiencing serious burnout in the story. And I was thinking about that and how it's such a, a physical event to experience burnout. And I'm just thinking of Kath like trying to do this and trying to do this and trying to do this. And she's definitely at that point too. in this it just made me think of how we spend so much time being creative or trying to serve the needs of other people sometimes that we can't actually honor what we need to honor for ourselves Mm. like we have to create a bit of space and kath has to create a better priority i think for herself just like ren has had to do yeah and
0: kath's getting she's getting better at that she's getting better at boundaries getting better to know how to serve her own needs rather than what other people need from her which i think is good and she's
1: looking after Levi. She makes some eggs twice. She burns. She burns so many eggs, <laughs> way more than she actually successfully makes.
0: I um, have a tangential marginalia related to the kitchen scene, and that's on page four thirty two. Oh, yes. You know, Kath has this remark where she says the kitchen almost didn't remind Kath of the missing blonde girl anymore. And the use of "missing" in this sentence to me makes it sound like Kath ordered a hit on this girl. <laughs>
1: If she didn't, maybe Regan or. <laughs> like, why is
0: this girl missing? She's just like I would have put mysterious there rather than missing. I just feels like
1: wow. Okay. Well, I think that like well maybe because like Levi was in the kitchen and the blonde girl was with Levi, so the only thing missing is the blonde girl.
0: Or is it? But I see what
1: you mean. <laughs> Kath is quite devious, but I don't know if she's that devious. Gosh, this is a good section. I like. I always feel like it's over, and then there's more. Like this. Nick stuff wraps up so beautifully and then I think their fight is so important because I don't actually ever want a happily ever after I don't think that that's like I mean I do I love romance and I love reading romance but I also like to know that it's realistic mm. ever after like Ren says together ever after yeah you know you know that it's not going to be happy you know that you're not going to be cheerful always There are going to be bad days they're going to be great days but yeah the fact that they're having a fight and working through it is really important to me and I love that we get to see it and I love
0: that she has that internal monologue to herself about you know does she want to marry him when do you know you want to marry someone like she, you know she's like maybe i won't marry him but that means that i'm gonna have to make the most of the time i have with him now because this might be the only time i ever get and i think that's really good too because often in romance you know it's too easy it's like oh yeah and then they get married uh-huh. and they live happily ever after and it's like it's not realistic whereas to be like oh i don't know if i want to be with this person forever but for now you know that's just healthy
1: i also love that there's a so- opportunity for growth for Kath to be thinking about this she's doing this while she's making out with Levi because her brain is always on and I totally relate to this her going like but if we don't get married someday then that means somebody else will get all of this and I should definitely be taking advantage of it now that's like a panic <laughs> response like eat all the food before it goes yeah off. <laughs> it's, it's like you could just stay with them like you can actually just not get married to them you can just be with them forever or you can marry him and if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out like you know, yeah that's
0: not a it's, it's not an either or extreme situation <laughs> yeah
1: yeah i will say that in america marriage is considered like a thing though it is meant to be forever it's not like a, a partnership
0: i kind of also love the contrast we got to see between yandro and levi in yeah. reaction to like the fic reaction so his oh yeah i want to talk you know, because he voices concern, like Ren says that, you know, he thinks it's deviant because he doesn't think straight white girls should be writing gay fanfic. And that was kind of like Kath's worry when she was in Levi's house. Like, she's like, should I be reading this if you've got a gay flatmate? <laughs> and I love that kind of juxtaposition of the two of them.
1: I also love that Kath's like, he thinks I'm the deviant one? <laughs> um, I, Look, I think there's something there in that that I wanted to unpack, because I was thinking about that a lot. Yes, as... A female writer what we write is so much like it's policed more mm. it's either dismissed or derided like women just have a, a bad shtick like anybody who's marginalized in any way has to fight that much harder for relevancy I guess but I think that there's a couple of aspects worth exploring like women who write about gay men are often exploring power dynamics that they won't get when they write about or are in male female mm. relationships so you're like starting from equal on both sides which really helps but the flip side of that is that a lot of women especially young women have unacknowledged or unconscious internalized misogyny Mm. so like oh I don't want to write about girls I'm not like that and that's where you kind of have to say like okay why why are you resisting this it like if you don't think that women are as deserving of storytelling if they're not as interesting then that's like it's your responsibility to find and write find and read and write about those women not to just dismiss women as a whole Mm. you know what I mean So I'm of two minds with that. I thought it was really funny, but I also thought it was really worth unpacking.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. And I think you can see that sometimes when you read something where if the only female character is demonized, you know, it's like, or yeah, and it's like, okay, so this is not actually about the relationship so much as it is about this other thing that's underlying it it's
1: a lot of what I find happens I get people who are like I really relate to this male character because this that the other but why Mm. like not that we only should relate to people who are like us but like why what I wanted to like get I want to get people looking at what they're actually relating to and like examining it critically in order to better understand themselves. Like I
0: had this conversation with you earlier this year where I was like, oh, okay, I didn't realize that, you know, I said to you, I don't read romance. But this year, I started reading a lot more queer romance. I was trying to unpack that with you being like, "Why, why this? And you made that point about, it's the gender imbalance. Like I don't like the yeah. tropey kind of nature of romance because I feel like it puts the female characters in a specific position and I don't like that. Yeah. And if they're not in the kind of subservient position, they're in the like like strong in the buffy type woman and I don't like that either. Whereas I think you get more yeah. nuance when it's a queer relationship because you start on the same field almost. Like there's less yeah, yeah less yeah. boxing you
1: just take that out of the equation yeah. but I mean like look there's great romance that's het and yeah. there's terrible queer Absolutely. romance like it's, it's all it all exists on a spectrum yeah. um I'm super picky about what I read actually like I will read romance and be like oh I love this and then I'll read something and I'll be like yeah that was five dollars so I'll never get back <laughs> but
0: that's fine that's all books though right like it's all stories you just yeah. don't know like I love mysteries and then sometimes you read a mystery you're like what the heck is this. Or fantasy. <laughs> like, fantasy's real hit and miss, let's be real.
1: Yep. Sometimes you are in the world and sometimes you're like, I don't know how to pronounce this person's name and
0: five apostrophes. And I don't care. Fundamentally, I don't care.
1: Yeah, I feel like you have to care. Like, the characters or the story or something has to draw you in. Yeah, I love... I Actually, thank you for pointing that out about Hondro because I love that too. I love that he has this idea about it, but he's kind of... Like, he's
0: with Ren, so he's coming around, I think. He's just very, I think, sheltered. I think he's had a sheltered rural conservative life and so this is probably quite shocking to him bless you know it's like when everyone lost their minds about 50 shades of gray when that became a mainstream thing and i'm like have you people never read fan fiction because this ain't that risque i'm just gonna put that out and it's there. not even good <laughs> like there are <laughs> way more extreme things whatever floats your boat oh, it's yeah. out there
1: and sometimes you happen on it and you're like oh i wasn't yeah. expecting that <laughs> nope should have read the tags should have read the tags <laughs>
0: Oh, every time. I'm a lot better
1: at reading the tags now, I tell you. Especially
0: because I, unfortunately, started out in the Torchwood fandom, which is... She was a wild time.
1: It just feels like a really chaotic space.
0: Yeah, and it's just one of those things where... Now, when I think back about, you know, like I was saying to you, you look back about things when you realize that, hey, I'm not as straight as I thought I was. You're like, oh, I get why I was obsessed with this thing now. And I think Torchwood is definitely one of that, because it's like, it's just a bunch of chaotic bi's being bi, and now I'm like, oh, I see. Like Taika and his vampires, they're all bisexual and morons. It should be all vampires. We should redo all vampire shows as that. Wow. Did you have any tangential marginalia, or shall we crack on with the index?
1: Okay, you go first, because I actually did not pick an in-depth marginalia. Oh, outrageous.
0: So
1: <laughs> I know, I know. I'm shocking. It's because I was putting a light up today.
0: Okay, well, my in-depth marginalia is on page 416. And it is when Kath is talking to Professor Piper, and yet again, she's going in her head, I'm just going to pull out of this, and then she can't, because Professor Piper is, I don't know, looking at her with such wholesome intent. And she's like, no, I must can- continue and pretend that I'm going to write this story. And then I guess just never turn it in, and that's not going to be weird. But anyway, what is the yeah. plan here? What's She's the not end game? Because you still have like what three more years at this university, so. <laughs> like you're not going to see her again.
1: It's not sustainable. Um.
0: So the line is, she'd rather endure these excruciating checkups than tell the truth that she only ever thought about her project when she was sitting in this room. And I chose this because to me, Kath is procrastinated her writing on the story because she is so afraid of failure, right? Like she's got this massive block because she cannot imagine writing anything that is not perfect. And so she just doesn't write it at all. And she just procrastinates. And so she comes into this room and she just basically pretends that she is fine and everything's fine and she's written it and she hasn't and like you know i get it i've been there i've been to many a checkup with supervisors when i was doing my honors thesis when they're like how's it going yeah great had i started no like we've all been there but you know it also reminds me a little bit of the breakfast club because you know you've got all these people they're supposed to write this these essays and their detention but then they just spent ages messing around and then they come up with this manifesto on identity at the end which they actually wouldn't have produced if they hadn't messed around and hadn't spent the time getting to know each other. And so I'm not saying that procrastination is a necessary part of creation because I think that's something we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better about procrastinating. But maybe for Kath this is something she has to go through in order to be able to write it at all. Like she needs to experience this in order to get to the point where she can actually write something that is not fan fiction. Though I know that when I procrastinate, usually things, when I sit down to actually write it, it takes me like a few hours and then I berate myself for the weeks and weeks that I spent not writing it and not doing it. Um, when doing it, We've all been yeah, there. like and doing it was so easy, so why didn't I just do it in the first place? So I think what I want to take away from this is just either do it or don't. Like, if you're not gonna work on something, don't sit there and feel gross and stressed about it. Just accept that you're not gonna do it and you'll do it later. Like, don't have that anxiety sitting in you. And if I can't stop thinking about it, then just do it. Because I know how it's going to play out. I know that when I sit down, it's actually not going to be hard or the end of the world. So it's a waste of time and energy to do this dance every time. Just like get on with it.
1: Yeah, I love that. Thanks for going there on that one. Oh, good. What is your one then? I have decided to talk about when Kathy is looking at Nick and he's there and she realizes that she's not embarrassed. So on page 428, it said, Kath didn't feel embarrassed now, now that she was looking right at him. She felt angry, robbed. She'd written some good stuff with Nick and now she'd never get Mm. it back. I think about this idea a lot about wasted words, or I used to think about this idea about a lot about wasted words. In this specific instance, Kath is realizing that the kind of writer she doesn't want to be is the kind of writer that Nick is. So that's a lot about her identity. Like, she's able to crystal clear see that he is not a goal, mm. like his style is not a goal, which I think is really important. She really needed that. But also like there was still creation involved. And when you work on something, you do feel something for it. Like you have that. And, and she did work on this and she did put a lot of herself into it. It was hard for her to put herself out there. And she did. And he took it and he took credit for it. And so I think that when I'm making stuff, I often feel a lot of ownership toward it. But it Reminds me of one thing I have all the time that I keep sticking up in various places, which is that no love is ever Mm. wasted. So everything we do, all of the effort we put in, no effort is wasted. So every time I work on a piece of writing, if I, instead of deleting it, I'll just like put it in a slush pile or move that file to a discard folder. And often that discard folder is like four to five times the final word count of my actual book because I've had to waste Mm. that many words, so to speak, on getting... Where I need to go, but I stopped thinking it of it as something that I resent, and start looking at it as something that, like has helped me grow. And I hope that someday Kath is able to look at that experience with Nick and realize that it was actually really useful to have this D-bag trying to blame her for his failures and mistakes because it showed her what kind of writer she didn't want to be, what kind of mentor she doesn't want to be, and what kind of mm. person she doesn't want to be. So I think that that's useful, but it is sometimes hard to like take those lessons when they not happen. Either. And I'm just proud of her for not being embarrassed because she has nothing to be embarrassed about. She was badly treated and he should get in the bin, as you
0: Absolutely. Say. I agree. But even then, you know, like, there's that line where Kat says, Ren looked at him like one of the girls from his story oozing contempt. I'm like, oh, I bet you don't like it now, do you, Nick? Like, you write these girls, but I bet you don't like it in person.
1: He just writes about being able to win them over.
0: It just reminds me of Gone Girl as well, where she spends all that time talking about being the cool girl. Like, you know, you want to be cool. You want to be calm. You want to be this idealized version of what men think you should be. And I think that's exactly the space Nick is in. He's like writing the cool girl all the time. Ugh.
1: Find someone you can be weird with. That's it. Do you have a character you'd like to spotlight? This I week? do. And
0: like, she's not in it very much, but I wanted to spotlight Regan because I love that she makes Nick sit in the hall and then just is so dismissive of him. Like, is this yours? Love it. Love it. Very dismissive. I'm here for it. And I also love that, you know, her and Kath are still having meals together. They're still spending that time together and that she wants to still room with Kath next year I think that's just so lovely I love their friendship I love that Regan's really in her corner even though you know she doesn't necessarily get everything that Kath does but she supports her and I just think that is so great Regan is great she is just awesome she's amazing she's just got Kath's back like they all do but like Regan you know she she was there when he showed up so I'm giving her MVP points this week how about you Yeah, I want to spotlight Levi, Mm. because
1: he had to have a really hard conversation. And Levi really likes things to go well and go smoothly and to make people happy and to do the right thing and the good thing. And he still had a fight with Kath. And like, we've seen Kath be mean to him when he was being vulnerable. And this was kind of that, but also this was not that. This was him saying, hey, we're meant to be prioritizing each other, and we're running out of time here, and you are not doing the thing that you probably should be doing. Like, this was him actually holding Mm. her accountable. And, dude, that is super hard, especially when you just want people to be happy, and you just want to be, like, friends with everyone. And it is so hard when your friends are just messing up. It is the hardest conversation to have, so I'm really proud of him for having it. Kath needed a bit of a shock, and I think it it helped. Yeah,
0: it's a hard thing. He did a hard thing, and I'm glad you spotlight him. I just didn't want to do it again, because I've done too many Levi spotlights.
1: We are going to be reading chapters 37 and 38 and wrapping the book up next week. Oh my gosh. We're going to read it through the theme of
0: fame. Uh, It always ends so quickly every time we read books. I'm never ready, although I am quite excited about our next book. What are we reading next? We are reading The Raven Boys.
1: (laughs) Yay! I'm excited too. And we did something different. We wrote in each other's books and then swapped them back. So I will get to see Jen's marginalia and she will get to see mine
0: as we read through. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to have little conversations in her marginalia, which we can then expand upon. So that's exciting. I'm just really, really excited to delve into this book with you. I had to stop myself from just cracking on and reading the rest of them. I'm like, no, restrain yourself. Um, and we're also doing a one shot, of course, before we get on to that. And what are we watching this time? Romeo and Juliet. Our Baz's version, of yes, course. Yes, because we are good little Australian.
1: And it's the best version.
0: I also love it. And I think it's great because you are actually, if we think about it, your house Capulet, and I am house Montague because you're Team Tibble. And I am Team Macuccio, so. This is Here true. we go.
1: This is true. <laughs> this is the thing I really love to. I saw that movie at a very formative time. Okay. <laughs> he was very dramatic and very hot, and I will not apologize for that. He's very dramatic. So yeah, that'll be good chats, I think. Mm. But of Shakespeare. It'll be really fun. It's so highbrow. It's gonna be so fun. I can't wait. I can't wait to watch it and cry and watch it and oh, cry and same. watch it and cry. Like I
0: cry. I cry every time. Obsessive. Every time. Well, thank you for this lovely chat. Well,
1: thank you, Jen. I'm so glad we get to do this. Me too. And I'm looking forward to seeing you next week. All right, see you next week.
0: Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Jen D and Jen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at marginaliapod.com.